Good morning, church, family. Great to see you. Uh, welcome all of you online watching live right now. It's, just, it's good to be together. Well, about five and a half years ago, uh, when we were getting ready to move from California to Ohio, uh, we knew, Lord willing, we would probably see a lot of our family and some of our closest friends again and some of our uh, church community from that area. But we also knew there was probably a chance a lot of people that we had gotten a chance to know over you know, a couple decades, we may never see them again. And so there were several gatherings where we got a chance to really say goodbye, and it was really an interesting mix of emotions because for some people are like, oh, I'll see you at Christmas, I'll see you next year, Lord willing, you know. Um, but there were some people who are like, man, I don't, I don't know if I'll ever see you again just because of, of life and distance and traveling. And, and so hugs were a little tighter, hugs were a little longer. Uh, there were some, you know, exchanges of appreciation and gratitude, a lot more I love yous and thank yous, and it was, it was a very meaningful time. And at one of those gatherings, uh, our friends had put a journal out and just said, hey, if you want to write a note to Chad and Rika as they get ready to move, just put some stuff in here. And so uh, several people wrote things. One of the things uh, that was written was by a dear woman that we loved. Um, man, just knew her for years. Uh, I was a chance to be her youth pastor for all three of her kids and, and uh, you know, just watch them grow up. And her name was Joy Champion. And here's what she said. She said to Chad and Rika, she goes, you're a testimony to God's promise that he will bring to completion what he began." Though you were only halfway, you are such a witness. She's just capping on her age, you know. <laughs> Though you are halfway, you are such a witness to how the Spirit, through spiritual disciplines, works in that process. Just remember, God will always provide, even when in the dark, you wonder where he is, together in his work, joy. And then she wrote Philippians 4.19, which is, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And those were just meaningful words. And what I loved about what Joy wrote, and lots of people wrote things, but um, she, she was affirming of us, she was encouraging of us, and then she pointed us to the Lord. You know, on this, on this next leg of your voyage, um, don't forget, God's going to provide. And you can trust him. And even when you don't see him, he's there. He's going to take care of you. And then she gave us God's word, and she pointed us to Jesus. And, and I love that in, that in in that gathering and in this moment, um, I found myself trying to point people to Jesus because that's the best thing I can do if I'm not going to see someone again. And people were helping us, uh, you know, reminding us to be pointed uh, to Jesus in our next lake of the journey. That's what was said at some of these gatherings of these people. What would you say if you had a chance to gather together some of your closest family, and friends, and you knew it was the last time you would probably see some of them ever. Like, what would you say? What would be the most important message you could deliver? What would be the, the, the thing that would be of an urgent nature within you to impart to them? Think about that. Well, we're going to open up uh, our Bibles to the book of Acts, uh, and like we do every Sunday, opening up the Word of God, and I invite you to the book of Acts, and what we're about to look at is we're about to look at a gathering of a man, the Apostle Paul. And what he has done is he's gathered some men together with him that he knows he'll never see again. And he has an urgent message for them, and he shares things that are very important to his spirit with them. So let's see what those things are. So open up to Acts chapter 20 with me, and uh, we're going to be in verses 17 through the rest of the chapter, if you were to really uh, look at the context of where we're at, uh, what we're doing, you know, if you were to read the first, you know, part of Acts chapter 20, this is historically uh, the, the last 
the end of what's called Paul's third missionary journey. The Apostle Paul has been traveling through what's now modern-day Turkey, modern-day Greece, uh, visiting churches that had been started. He's encouraging those churches. He's instructing those churches. He's continuing to share the gospel alongside those churches. And now where we see him is he's going to be in an area called Miletus, which is in the northwestern part there, um, in, in Turkey on the coast, and just a little bit north of Ephesus. So this is the modern-day uh, city of Balat in Turkey, and he's in this town called Miletus. And here's what we see take place in Acts chapter 20, verses 17 through the end of the chapter. Now, from Miletus, he, the Apostle Paul, sent to Ephesus and called the elders of the church to come to him. And when they came to him, he said to them, you yourselves know how I lived among you the whole time from the first day that I set foot in Asia, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me through the plots of the Jews, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house, testifying to both Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And now behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonments and afflictions await me. But I do not account my life of any value, not as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that none of you among whom I have gone about proclaiming the kingdom will see my face again. Therefore, I testify to you this day that I am innocent of the blood of all of you, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among you, your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, Remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears, and now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I coveted no one's silver or gold or apparel. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my necessities and to those who were with me. And in all things, I have shown you that by working hard in this way, we must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus, how he himself said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all. They embraced Paul and kissed him, being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for your word. Your word is perfect. It's holy. It lasts. It teaches. It instructs. It guides. It directs. God, thank you for your living word speaking to us, God. And today as we gather, Lord, we come with many different things in our hearts and minds, different journeys and voyages that we have been on. Lord, we pray that you would help us be motivated and instructed by what we see in the life of the Apostle Paul, what we see in the life of the early church. God, you know our flaws. Uh, Lord, we, we lay them before you, Lord. We confess, we repent of the things that are displeasing to you. And God, may we now listen with attentive ears and an open heart to that which you want to plant in us and harvest in us because of our time today with you and with each other. And we ask this in Jesus' name. We all said together, 
Amen. Well, here's the deal. This is a powerful and emotionally charged moment. This is Paul's final goodbye to a group of men that he probably led some of them to Christ uh, and or raised them up and discipled them. So, so there's a deep connection between the Apostle Paul and these elders of the church at Ephesus. And he's gathered them around to communicate that which is very important to his heart. This is actually the only recorded sermon we have of Paul giving to believers. We've got, we've got all, you know, of all these uh, Pauline uh, writings in the Bible, he's preaching to Greeks and Jews and Gentiles, and, you know, uh, but this is the only recorded message that we see him deliver to believers. So this has great importance uh, to him and, and therefore to us of what he's trying to say. And as I studied what Paul was saying in this passage, everything seems to be summarized best by the word faithfulness. Faithfulness. You know, God is faithful, is he not? Oh, I don't know if you're convinced of that. God is faithful. He's faithful. And he wants us to be faithful. And he, his faithfulness calls to us. He wants us to walk faithfully. And he's given us the Holy Spirit so that we can. We have no excuse for unfaithfulness, right? We, we know how it works. We know our sinful nature. We know our flesh drags us off, and we, we, know we're fl- we have flaws, and we deviate. But ultimately, the Lord says, I-, I want faithfulness from you, and I've given you the ability to be faithful. And so God calls us to holy living and empowers us through the Holy Spirit to walk faithful for his glory. And if you think about it, the ultimate reason that we try to be faithful is to glorify God. Now, with that being said, we also experience a great fulfillment in our life when we're faithful. When we are faithful, it brings us fulfillment. It's life-giving for adversity. It's life-giving. It's exhilarating to resist temptation. And when we experience faithfulness, we experience a satisfaction that we truly are glorifying to God, and it gives extra peace to our soul. If you're, if you're vexed, if your soul is vexed in your life, and you're restless, and you're dissatisfied, and you're often in angst and anxiety, maybe it's because you're not finding yourself walking faithful with God. Now, Paul has found the trick here to faithfulness. The, the, the trick to faithfulness is not to focus on faithfulness. The trick to being faithful is you focus on trying to live to glorify God. If you live to glorify God, you will be faithful. And if you live faithfully, you're going to glorify God. It's just the way it works. When you study the life of the Apostle Paul and a lot of these men and women in the Bible and the early church, you see that they just had this determined drive despite their failures, despite their mess-ups. They just said, I'm just going to keep pressing forward. I'm going to be faithful to God. I want to glorify God with my life. And we see that coming from Paul, and he's sharing this with these men. And as Paul's life is a very uh, inspiration of faithfulness to us, we see him really make three declarations, if you will, about faithfulness in this passage. And the first declaration that he makes, in essence, is this. I have been faithful. Paul's looking back at his life. He's looking at, as he's with these elders in Ephesus, he's saying, okay, I've been with you guys, and as I look back, by the grace of God, I have been faithful. That's what he's basically saying. And he's saying, you witnessed it firsthand. Right? He said, you witnessed it firsthand. Look at verses um, 18 and 19 again. He says, you yourselves know how I lived among you, serving the Lord with all humility and with tears and with trials that happened to me. He's saying, look, you saw firsthand how I lived my life. 
And so please take into consideration that I, I was humble with you, not arrogant. And, and that, I, that I ministered to you and with you through tears. And when we see tears there, uh, it's not that Paul was being a crybaby. It's that he was passionate about what he taught. He was passionate about what he lived. And, and he had compassion. And so the tears of Paul, we look at the tears of Paul, and we know it was because his heart was stirred. He didn't want to see lost people lost. He didn't want to see broken people broken. These were tears of compassion and passion that came from him. And he said, look at my life. Look at how I wasn't arrogant with you. Look at how I had compassion and passion as I lived among you and ministered with you and by your side. And even in the face of trials, look at all the persecutions and all the things that came against us. And you know what? When I look back, by the grace of God, I have been faithful. And he starts to get a little more specific about what he did and how he did it. Look at verse 18 or, or 20. He says, how I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house and testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus. These verses point to Paul's faithfulness in sharing all things in all places with all people about all of God's truth. That's what he sees when he looks back in the rearview mirror. He's saying, man, I taught you in public. I taught you in private. I didn't care if you were Jewish. I didn't care if you were Greek, pagan, Gentile. I just couldn't shrink. I couldn't back away. I couldn't be threatened or talked out of declaring to you that which was most beneficial to you. And what's most beneficial to you is that you repent, that you turn from yourself to God. You turn from sin to God. And so that you repent and understand that you need to have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. This is what he's basking in as far as what's ministering to his spirit as he's not going to see these people again. That I have been faithful doing these things. And then he says something very interesting in verses 26 and 27. He takes it a step further. He goes, therefore, I testify to you this day that I'm innocent of the blood of all. For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And Paul looks at his ministry to the, to the elders in the church in Ephesus. He goes, man... Anyone within my range of influence and instruction, I, 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 I laid it all out there. I shared the whole counsel of God. I didn't hold anything back. It wasn't veiled. It wasn't watered down. It wasn't mamsy-pamsy. It wasn't soft sell. Man, it wasn't sugar-coated. I laid the whole counsel of God. Therefore, I can't be accountable. That, that's what that expression means. I'm innocent of all blood. I, I have a clear conscience that I did what I was supposed to do wherever God maneuvered me in the presence of people. And so my conscience is clear. I'm innocent of the blood. If someone is still in a condemned state because of, uh, they rejected it, it's not on me because I declared the whole counsel of God. And so he's finding peace as he's looking back by God's grace of these things in his life. And then he talks about, if you go down verses 33 to 35, he's, man, hey, I didn't, I didn't covet anyone's belongings, their silver, their gold, their clothing. I worked hard. I, I wasn't lazy. I wasn't idle. I didn't try to sit back. I didn't um, you know, want to take advantage of the weak. I worked hard. I tried to pull my weight. I didn't want to be a burden to anybody. I worked hard. Let my ethic represent that Basically, as I communicated my message, I wanted something for people. I didn't want something from people. And Paul has great peace that all those people who heard his message had come to the realization by watching his life that when he talked about Jesus, it's because he wanted something for them, not wanted something from them. And as Paul looks at these things, he has a great sense of peace. His self-assessment of his faithfulness brought him fulfillment as he looked 
back. And so we need to think about our lives. If we were to put that same filter under our lives, and we were to look at some of the same things that Paul said, and we tried to say them about ourselves, how would we land? Do the people that look at our life firsthand to see how we live, would they say that you're about serving Christ? And that you're, you live to glorify God and you're faithful? Do you do everything unto the Lord? As a spouse, as a parent, as a friend, as a boss, as an employee, as an employer, as a client, as a neighbor, as a loving stranger, can you tell that you are one who's about serving the Lord? Do we engage others humbly instead of using arrogance? Have we ever been moved to tears for just hurt, lost, broken people? When you hear about tragedies, when you hear about people um, just resistant to God, they're so hard-hearted, does it trigger something inside of you that's like, it's a burden that moves you to tears and compassion and passion come? Do we share all truth of Christ? Like we're always learning, we're always growing, but do you share all that you know? That means we're not afraid to say God, we're not afraid to say Jesus, we're not afraid to say heaven, we're not afraid to say hell, we're not afraid to say sin, we're not afraid to say salvation. And we declare the whole counsel of God because the whole counsel of God is basically this. We're lost sinners. And we have sin in our life that keeps us from God. And if we're going to die in that sinful state, then we're going to spend eternity apart from God and we're going to miss out on all the blessings and the presence of God's power in our life now. And the only way we're going to be made right with God is from repenting from our sin and turning to Jesus Christ. His death on the cross paid for our sins. His resurrection gave evidence that he was God in the flesh and alone has the power to forgive sins. And only faith in Christ will make you right with God. And only faith in Christ will get you into heaven. That's the whole counsel of the gospel. Do we lay it out there? Or do we sugarcoat it? Are we, are we intimidated by the world? Do we chicken out in situations and kind of water it down? Are we ones who can stand up and say we've declared the whole counsel of God and as we interact with people in this world and they look at our life, do they see that our ethic is strong and we're hard workers and we're not trying to take advantage or manipulate but instead, as we talk about Jesus, as we pray for them, as we love on them, they get the sense we want something for them, not that we want something from them. Now, why do you love me the way you do? Why do you put up with me? Why, why, why do you, why do you stop, stop praying for me? Why do you do that? Because I want for you. I want you to experience Jesus like I've experienced Jesus. I want you to experience forgiveness like I've experienced forgiveness. I want you to experience hope and peace and joy and new life like I've experienced. I want something for you. I'm driven to be faithful because I want something for you, not because I want something from you. The people get that sense in our life. I know what some of you might be thinking, and you're like, time out here, time out. We're talking about the Apostle Paul. How can we compare ourselves to the Apostle Paul? Because last time I looked at Paul, who God used to write scripture and who gave his life, and I look at my life, there's quite a contrast. So there's a disconnect for me because we're talking about Paul. We can't forget who Paul was. Paul was Saul. He was a hateful, murderous man. He was a spiritual terrorist with the blood of many on his hands. And yet he encountered the risen Jesus Christ. And God gave him a new name. God gave him a new life. And God gave him a new legacy to live out. I don't care what's in your past. Because you can be a new person in Christ, right? The day you let Jesus in, new life begins. And you start fresh and you start new. And some of you might be thinking, man, if, if, if living for God and being faithful, if I, I can't look backwards and see faithfulness. I look backwards like 24 hours and I see failure. And here's the beautiful thing. Today's a new day. If you're faithful today, you can wake up tomorrow looking back on today going, I've got one day now. 
I was faithful. Because your faithfulness today will be your past faithfulness come tomorrow. And so when you look at the Apostle Paul, he figured out, if I live to glorify God, I'll be faithful. And if I live faithfully, I'm going to glorify God. And so he's able to have that self-assessment and go, by the grace of God, I have been faithful. He declares that. But then he declares something else. He declares, I will be faithful. Not, not only I have been faithful, but I will be faithful. And he looks at the days to come. Let me ask you, what, what's, what's, in, what's in your future? What's going to happen for you tomorrow? Do you know? Well, you've probably got something on your calendar, right? What about next week? What about next month? I don't know about you, but i got stuff like in 2017, 2018 scheduled. It may happen. It may not, right? We don't really know what's going to happen tomorrow. Jesus said something about that, didn't he? Like, <laughs> why do you worry? Because each day has a trouble of its own, Right? But, but Paul knew his attitude, he knew his approach for whatever was coming his way. And so he says, I will be faithful. Look at verses 22 and 23. He knows what's next. He knows vaguely what it's going to be. He says, I know, behold, and now, behold, I'm going to Jerusalem, constrained, that means bound by the Spirit, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that the Holy Spirit testifies to me in every city that imprisonment and afflictions await me. Paul's going back to ground zero. He's going back to Jerusalem. This is where the Holy Spirit came. This is where the church got started. This is where the persecution of the church got started. Paul's going back to ground zero. And he's going, I'm just going back to Jerusalem. I don't have a clue exactly what it's going to look like, but here's what God's Spirit keeps telling me. I'm going to jail and bad things are going to happen to me. Imprisonment and afflictions. And I'm sure Paul's like, yippee, this is awesome. Can't wait to get there. Woo, sign me up, you know. When's the train leave? Let's go. Let's get this thing going. He just knows, man, I know I'm going to Jerusalem. I know it's going to be choppy waters on this voyage, but here's what I do know. I'm going to be faithful. Whatever comes my way tomorrow, whatever hardship difficulties, persecution. I'm anchored to my faith. I love my Jesus. I'll live to glorify God. I'm going to be faithful. Whatever it looks like. Doesn't mean there wasn't fear. Doesn't mean there wasn't trepidation. He just knew that he had fixed his heart, his mind, his eyes on being faithful. Why is he so convinced he's faithful? That he's going to be faithful? He knows that he's anchored his heart in his desire to glorify God. He knows the power of the Holy Spirit inside of him to help him overcome whatever's coming. Look at what he says. Verse 24 packs a punch. Look at Acts 20, 24. But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. This statement is just dripping with determination. Jesus has reprioritized his life. He's not just saying with his lips, Jesus first. He's living his life in such a way that Jesus comes first. And he's saying to the point that the, the thing that's most important to me is that I finish this race that, that whatever lies ahead, man, I just want to be faithful to testify to the grace of God and about Jesus to the point that my own life has no value to me. My own life is not precious to me. And we, you know, it's interesting, we, if you fast forward, you know, you fast forward, you, you see Paul in a Roman prison, you know, later on. 
And he's able to say something. And he's writing to a boy he's mentoring, a young man he's mentoring named Timothy. And in 2 Timothy 4, 7, we fast forward. And here's what he says. He says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I've kept the faith. You know, you can almost close your eyes and envision Paul in a Roman prison cell. And you can almost see him with this big smile of satisfaction, raise his shackled hands, lean his beaten and scarred back against the cold stones of the prison wall with a victory smile going, I've finished well. I've been faithful. But to rewind, and he's here in Miletus going, I'm going to Jerusalem. This is long before he was even in Rome. And trouble waits me. But I will be faithful. And let's be real. Many Christians say with their lips, Jesus first. But we live our lives, me first. I'm guilty of that. Any other takers in the room? Every day is a tug of war. Every day is a battle. And Paul's learned, if I just, if I live to glorify God, to please God, know his word, know how to know my Savior, be in fellowship with him, know how to live pleasing to him, if I know how to do that, I live to glorify God, I'm going to be faithful. And if I find myself being faithful, I'm going to glorify God. And so he continues to look at his life going, I have been faithful. And now he says, I will be faithful. And if we learn from Paul, and we learn what he's living about glorifying God, we learn that in our life, we have to learn to eradicate our own agenda for our life. We have to, we have to come to a point where we can echo verse 24, that our own lives are not the most precious thing to us. But the most precious thing is to cross the finish line for Jesus well. No matter what's happened in our life. And so we know it's about fighting the good fight. We know it's about finishing the race. We've got to keep the faith. We've got to be faithful. We expect trouble in this world, but we're resolved to press through despite it. We know trouble's coming. We know there's going to be death and sickness and job loss. We know there's going to be persecution and discouragement, but we're resolved by the power of the Holy Spirit to press forward. We're determined to live to glorify God so that we can be faithful. And by living faithfully, we're going to end up glorifying God. May it be true of us that we could say, I have been faithful. And may it be true of us that we even here in this moment could say, I will be faithful. By the grace of God, I will be faithful. Those are the two declarations he's made so far, but he's got one more declaration that he makes. And as he's talking with his Ephesian elders, as he's gathered these men around him that he loves dearly, and he's basically giving them his last will and testament to them, because he's about to get on a boat and go away, he says, I have been faithful, I will be faithful, and then he says, now you be faithful. He locks eyes with these men. Because he, he knows and has a sense for what's ahead for him, but he doesn't totally know what's ahead for them. And so he says, you be faithful. And so Paul goes from testifying from his own life to imparting, to commissioning, to challenging these elders of the church in Ephesus. By God's grace, you go be faithful now. And so we look, look at verse 28. He challenges them. He says, he focuses the attention on them now. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for or shepherd the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. And then he goes on and talks about, and you're going to have fierce wolves that are going to come from without. They're not going to spare the flock. They want to devour the flock that you're in charge of. On top of that, you're going to have men with egos and pride. They're going to rise up from among you. They're going to twist the teaching. People are going to like the teaching, and these people are going to have new followers. They're going to steal the sheep from the flock for a false gospel. So you have to be aware that these things are coming, men. 
And so I've admonished you with tears, man. Like, you, you need to see this is coming. So watch yourself and watch out for the flock. And so we see these two kind of, uh, this dual challenge of you be faithful. First, you be faithful in your own life. Now, we know that the elders and, and, and the men who lead the church are called to higher standard of um, living and scrutiny in their life. And so we see the qualifications for these elders. Like when you go to the book of Titus and Timothy, you see the qualifications there about you know, what is required of men who are going to lead the body. And basically says, you've got to watch out. You've got you've to watch your life. You've got to watch how you treat your wife and how you manage your children and your anger and your pride. You've got to watch out for greed. You've got to watch out for how much you drink, your self-discipline, how you manage your home, your money, your heart. You've got to watch out over yourself. Because, because you need to be a person of integrity. If you're, if you're just curious about a good elder book to read, this is a brief but simple book called Church Elders. We give this to men who are nominated uh, for eldership in our church. Just read to get a snapshot of what it means to be a biblical elder in a church. And a lot of times I boil down the responsibilities to the four Ps. They're called the pray, preach, protect, and prioritize. Pray for the body. You know, our elders today, we're, we have a woman after the service that, that's sick, and she says, hey, and James, it says, call for the elders to pray. I, I'd love to have prayer for my sickness, so we're going to be praying for her. The, the elders pray for the body. And we, we preach, whether it's in a classroom with kids or in a life group or from a platform, we're called to teach the Word of God, to know how to handle the Word of God. We've got to protect. You know, we're, we're called to protect the body from attacks from without and from within. <laughs> we had the glorious opportunity to spend almost the last year revising our bylaws as a church. Why are we doing that? to protect the church. It's not exactly, no one signs up as an elder. Hey, when are we doing the bylaw revision? I can't wait to do that. Please invite me to that party, you know? Why do we do that kind of stuff? That's not why we sign up to do it, but it's part of protecting the church and prioritizing the vision. Like God's called us to love him and to go make disciples and do it in a unique way. And so those are how I, I look at the responsibilities of these men. And as we look at these men, God's called them to shepherd, to, to shepherd the flock. He says, watch out for yourself and watch out for the flock that you're shepherding and that you're in care of. Now, which is interesting about uh, a term, by the way, that's referring to these men is in Acts 20, 17, Paul, it says, Paul called the elders of the church. This is the Greek word presbyteros, right? And then it says in Acts 20, 28, that uh, God had made them overseers. This is the word episkopos, all right? And then Acts 20, 28 says that they're the care of shepherd, which is the word poimano, which is where we get our Latin word pastorum, which is where we get the word pastor, Shepherd, pastor, okay? If you notice, these are interchangeable terms referring to the same men for the same church. And so these aren't three classes of people. You've got your elders over here, your overseers. No, they're, they're all the same. Now, they have distinct ways that they serve the church, but this is the same group of men. And so God's calling them to say, watch out for yourself and watch out for the body. He's saying, feed the sheep, lead the sheep, protect the sheep. Look at Jesus as the good shepherd and imitate him for the church that he bought with his blood and lead them well with integrity and, and, and God dependence. And I just want to say I'm so grateful for the men that God has brought to CVC for almost 30 years that have been solid, faithful elders. You know, the elders, some of you don't know our elders. Some of you um, 
are newer to CVC, I just want to share with you uh, who our elders are. Uh, we got Wayne and Gail Douglas. Uh, Wayne is serving as an elder, been serving for a long time. Larry Domzowski and his wife Tia there. Um, they're currently serving, those two men are currently serving as elders. We also have Ron Cleveland and his family there. We also know Pastor Dale Pascura. And then we also have uh, Dwayne Myatt, myself. I serve on the elder team. Uh, these, these men are, are faithfully serving. We got a few in the queue right now. Um, these are guys that are elder candidates. They're in an apprenticeship right now. So Doug Back, Tim Brooks, Ted Chase, these are men who are, are, are signing up. Look, these people aren't paid to do this. They just say, I feel like God's calling me. I've been nominated. I've been brought into this process. I'm praying through it. And then they willfully take on the burden of the body to pray, preach, protect, and prioritize for us. Man, I'm just so grateful for these men. So I'm asking, would you pray for our elders on a regular basis to make sure you lift them up? Because we need, because God, God needs to shield us from the attacks of the enemy from the wolves that this passage is talking about. And uh, if, you, if you know good godly men that, that have the qualifications that you see in Titus and Timothy, man, put their name out there. Email us a name or put a card with a name on it and submit those names. We'll take nominations. We have a process that we go through that's pretty extensive to, to get these men on board. But I'm so grateful for our current elders. Pray for them. Know them. Show honor and appreciate them for the willingness that they have to lead this body. Now, some of you might be thinking, okay, that's great, but I'm not an elder. How does this stuff apply to me? I would say just transfer these principles to whoever God has given you an opportunity to lead. Some of you lead your, your families. Some of you are leading your, um, in your places of work. And maybe you have a leadership role in a volunteer organization. Wherever it is, apply some of these principles of watching yourself and shepherd and take care of the ones that you have charge over and apply them into your own life. And so we see Paul here making this declaration. He's, look, I have been faithful. I will be faithful. Now you be faithful. I can't help but think of the parable that Jesus told. Like when we start talking about faithfulness, many of you who have read the Bible are probably thinking about the same parable. Because in Matthew 25, Jesus is telling a story about a servant who is faithful. And at the end of this parable, verse 21, it says, The master said to him, Well done, good and what? Faithful servant, you have been, what? Faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And I don't know about you, but I want to hear those words. You've been faithful. You've been faithful. Look, we're going to have failures. We're going to get tripped up, but we have to keep getting up and keep pressing on and keep striving to live to glorify God. Because if we live to glorify God, we will be faithful. And as we are faithful, it will give God glory. And Paul understood this, and he was trying to impart this to those men there. He had gathered these men together. He said, the last time I'm going to see you, I'm going to say something to you that's very important. I have been faithful. I will be faithful. You be faithful. You know, I shared with you what Joy wrote to us five and a half years ago at a gathering of people that we had. We knew that we probably weren't going to see some of those people again. And we never did see Joy again. See, Joy had been battling cancer for years. And so when she wrote this, I really believe in her heart, she knew this could be the last thing she ever said to us. And it's so encouraging to pull up now and go, she encouraged us, she affirmed us, but you know what? She pointed me to the Lord. She's encouraging me to be faithful here. And God will provide. Just trust him. Even in the dark when you don't see him, he's there. He's going to provide for all your needs through Christ Jesus. And it was a gathering, and, and she went home to be with the Lord just over a year ago. I know I'll see her again in our reunion in heaven, you know. But it was a moment that we had that was a precious moment. 
And I don't know what my last moment on earth is going to look like. I don't know if I'm going to have a last-minute conversation with my wife or my kids or my family or my church family saying, hey, you know, I've been faithful. I, have, you know, I will be faithful, whatever's going to come, and, and you be faithful. I do know this. I want to be able to say that. It's my greatest desire that I can look at my wife and kids in the eyes if I have to have that conversation and say, you be faithful. You be faithful. And I want to be able to say that with integrity because I've been faithful, that I live to glorify God. Become, by the grace of God, he gave me the ability to be faithful. Don't you want that? Like, I want that for you. That as you have those precious conversations with people who are so dear to you, you can look them in the eye, and by the grace of God, you go, you know what? Far from perfect, but I've been faithful to God. And I'm going to be faithful, whatever my remaining weeks, months, days, hours are going to look like. You be faithful. That's what I want for us. Now, some of you are thinking, how do I apply this? Well, I'm going to tell you right now, don't wait for the 11th hour. As I've been studying this, I've been thinking, why do we have to wait to the 11th hour? We can say things to people now about faithfulness. We can make adjustments in our life now to be more faithful. We can start to live to glorify God more now to be more faithful. And so let's start now. Let's not wait for some distant moment in the future. Maybe distant, we don't know, you know? Like, get a journal, go, go get a journal now. And start writing things to the, to the ones you love most about how God's been faithful to you and how things you've overcome by God's grace in your life. And then write down like how you want them to be faithful. Maybe have some conversations with people who know you and love you best. Say, look, I want to be as faithful as I can to the Lord. I want to live for his glory. I've got a couple questions for you. How have you seen me be faithful and how do you think I can be more faithful to God as you look at my life? How can I be more faithful to you as you look at my life? And then impart faithfulness to others. I want you to be faithful in because nothing will bless my heart more than to know that the ones I love most will walk faithfully with Jesus if God takes me home before the, I get a chance to tell him. And so we have to be dedicated to live to glorify God for faithfulness, to be faithful, a faithfulness that glorifies God and fulfills our life. And so whatever that looks like in your life, whatever God's calling you to do some sort of action, write, talk, conversations, follow up to pursue faithfulness and God's glory in your life. Amen? Let's pray. Lord God, you are faithful. God, you're faithful. You're faithful to us, Lord. God, no matter how much the world rages, no matter what goes on in this life, Lord, you are faithful. We will not be convinced. We will not be tricked. We will not be discouraged away from the effects of sin to think that you are not faithful, Lord. We know there's a day when you will abolish all sin, all brokenness, all death, all disaster. You're going to come in all your glory. You're going to come in your perfection, and you're going to restore all things. But Lord, until that day comes, Lord, we pray with one heart and one mind, Lord, would you find us faithful? By your grace, would you rise us up to a new level of faithfulness, Lord? Would you rise us up to a place that we want to live for your glory in a more passionate and resolute way? And God, may that faithfulness glorify you, Lord. And may it inspire those around us who know us and see our life to be faithful to you as well. And God, I pray that all of us We'll get to that place where we can look back and say, I've been faithful. Get to a place where we can look forward and say, I will be faithful no matter what comes. And Lord, that we can look with integrity at the people we love most and say, now you be faithful. Faithful to God. Follow God. Follow Jesus. Love Jesus. Serve Jesus. That's the desire we have in our life. And Lord, for anyone here today, God, that needs to take that first step of faithfulness by believing in you. I pray that today they will repent from their sin, repent from and turn away from trusting in themselves to trusting in you and believing upon you. Or may that be their, their time today. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. We all said together, amen. amen.